a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 81 of the Comic Book Time Machine and Episode 62 of Marvel's Cosmic Comics, Marvel's Star Wars Movies Revisited. Hello, time travelers, and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. Also, uh, an episode of Marvel's Cosmic Comics. This episode is going into both feeds unaltered, mainly because it covers a couple of different things that I would like to have covered in really both feeds. It, it just makes sense for this episode to be in both feeds. This is part of the Marvel's Cosmic Comics series. But since there's no extra things for this episode to be combined with, it's just going to go into both feeds. And if any of you don't know what I'm talking about, it's I'm probably making things a little more complicated than I need to. But the Marvel's Cosmic Comics stuff goes into two different feeds. Uh, the longer episodes where I take the entire month of Marvel's Cosmic license books, uh, that, that goes into our regular Comic Book Time Machine feed. But I've created a sub feed where each comic book that I talk about in those months gets its own episode so that you know someone could go ahead and just listen to say Godzilla uh only the Godzilla episodes and they would find out you know that they'd be able to go through the whole series without having to weed through Human Fly, Man from Atlantis, John Carter, Star Wars, all that kind of thing. So this one though it's going to be unaltered. It's going to go into both feeds and therefore it gets a slightly confusing opening credit sequence, I guess. But enough of me rambling and making things more complicated than they need to be. I think it's just really time to talk about comics because that's what we're here to do. We're here to go back in time and talk about comic books. Now, what we're talking about today is actually in its own way, kind of its own time machine. These books are meant to take us back uh, to remind us of the old movies. Uh, these are part of Marvel's plan when they when they returned the comic book licensing to the actual license holder, you know, because Disney Disney bought uh, Marvel and then Disney turned around and bought uh, Lucasfilm. And so they have two of the most lucrative movie franchises that exist. And actually with uh, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, I am pretty certain that if it wasn't still number one as far as movie franchises go, uh, Star Wars is, again, number one as far as movie franchises go. So they have the Star Wars franchise. They have the Marvel superhero franchise, the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe, which I talk about over at welcometolevel7.com, where you can find podcasts about all those movies and all their TV shows and everything. But it was only a matter of time before Disney would say, hey, we have a comic book publisher of our own. Why are we letting other publishers publish our Star Wars comics? We should maybe bring those back into the fold 
And then we'd have more control over what is going out, even more control. In fact, it'd be in-house control. So it'd be a lot easier to control things and, you know, cast out all of the, all of the old expanded universe. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a sore spot for a lot of fans, but what came of that was some pretty good Star Wars comics. And those Star Wars comics are, are things that I will be visiting in this feed, actually in both feeds. Uh, the way I'll be approaching them, though, is not issue by issue, but graphic novel by graphic novel. And so that's why I'm doing this, because these, while they aren't the first things that Marvel produced, they are definitely a way of looking back into the past at what Marvel did or with the original comic book license that they had, but then also kind of tying it to the new stuff. And so here's what they they did. They they produced these really really fine hardcover uh, presentations of the original trilogy movies, which were the only movies that were adapted by Marvel. And instead of presenting them exactly as they appeared in those original publications, uh, they have opted to recolor them and call it remastering them because it isn't just a coloring job that these, these books have gotten. Uh, there's, there's more to it than that. A little, a little bit more to it than that anyway, but they, there's definitely an element of if we reprint them exactly as they appeared before, they will be kind of dated. And in, in that regard, they, they wouldn't match up well with the new material that they're creating. And the new material that they're creating goes along with the timeline between the first movie, Star Wars, and the second movie, The Empire Strikes Back, or episode four and episode five, depending on, you know, how you choose to keep score. But they they don't. Uh, you'd be reading Howard Chaikin's artwork, which morphs into you know, the other stuff that happened with other artists. And then suddenly you're into a modern comic with a photorealistic style and a photorealistic coloring. And then you move into Al Williamson's Empire Strikes Back as, you know, if you're going to read it uh, in chronological order or if you're just going to read the movies and then read the news stories, same kind of thing. You're, you're just going to be jumping from something that's very much done in the 70s style to something that's done in a, what do you, what do you call it, a teens style, you know, 2015 or whatever, and then something that's very much of the 80s with the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and so I can understand why they've done the remastering. Now, is it effective is the question. And it's a good question. And there is a couple different answers to that. I think we'll come to that answer uh, at the end of, of this coverage here. But the reasoning why I can understand, on the other hand, I do have a, a little bit of a feeling inside of me of that kind of, oh, temporal elitism i guess i think it's something similar to that anyway that c.s lewis calls you know how your age is better than the ones before and just because it's modern means it's better and so you look back at the old old comics and just say to yourself well it's old therefore it's not good now there's something to that though you watch the special editions of the star wars movies and if you were born 
in time to see the originals in theaters, uh, more than likely you're going to appreciate the originals more. But I've talked to a, a handful of people, including my own children, who look at the first Star Wars movie and think it just looks old. It just looks old fashioned. And it is. It's from 1977. Uh, it's of a different cinema era. And I was talking with uh, a person just recently, well, a couple different people just recently, how you know they just look at the original Star Wars movie and they can't even understand what makes it a classic because it's old fashioned styles, it's old fashioned uh, special effects, it's old fashioned acting, it's not a very good script. So I think there is something to the idea of we want to sell. And so if we're going to be selling, who are we selling to? And are we going to be able to get new, new buyers from a young audience if we do it exactly as it looked? Uh, you know, and, and so the philosophical ramifications there are, you know, similar to that whole <laughs> What's the special edition? The special edition of the original movies. You know, there's some additions into it that I, I really think added to the movie nicely. Flip side of that, there's some additions that just were added for the sake of adding. And then the other thing is the way that they tried to kind of hold back those original cuts of the movies. And so, you know, just to take one example... And, and probably the least controversial, the Death Star battle in the first movie, in the special edition, it's smooth. The ships move the way you would expect ships to move in a modern CGI film. It's not the greatest still because it is early CGI. And, you know, this is when they were trying to raise money really to make episode one or to make some of the technology for episode one. And so they're still figuring some of this stuff out. So then you have, you know, things like Jabba the Hutt, which, ugh. Anyway, with the trench run and the Death Star battle and everything that was going on there in the special edition, it looks cool. It looks it looks it looks nice. It looks modern. But the original, that was a landmark in special effects history. And to hold that back, really, it just it, it feels like. You know, they're just doing it out of spite because they don't want people to see the old stuff and remember the old stuff when, in fact, the old stuff is very, very important to film and to the history of film. And yes, maybe it's an artifact, but an artifact, you know, it's an important artifact. So anyway, with with these, I, I kind of have a little bit of a feeling of, you know what, did they have to do this? Did they have to recolor it? And I think if you're just looking at the bottom line at the dollar sign, yeah, they, they did. Uh, if you're looking at it artistically, there is something to it as well. But I don't think that they needed to do this. However, there's some really, really good looking art and we'll, we'll get into it. So the first thing I want to talk about is the presentation of the books and they're hardcover. And it's a nice hardcover. I love this style of hardcover where there's no dust jacket. It's just all of that stuff is printed right onto the hardcover. And then on the on the inside, it's it's high quality paper. It 
the it's, it's got that high gloss and you know honestly I don't know about these books how they would have looked in with this glossy paper but the glossy paper does uh, tend you know does lend itself to a different style of coloring for it to really pop and and it does the artwork looks good on the paper whatever you want to say about say you know is this a special edition that is just adding things for the sake of adding it well you know that's that's there's some value to that statement but the presentation of the artwork if you were just to look at this and say i'm looking at this drawn by this guy and colored by this guy it looks really really nice the other thing is it does come with a free digital code I, you know, I say it's a free digital code, but you know, you're, you paid for the book and the digital code comes with the book. So it's not really free. It's part of the package and you pay for the package. Uh, the cover price on these is uh, $24.99. I'm not sure what uh, kind of discount Amazon has right now on these, but it's $24.99. And it is a little weird to look at the back and see Disney, Lucasfilm, and Marvel right there all together. Basically, uh, the three biggest pop culture uh, influences in American history right there, Disney, Lucasfilm and Marvel. But you know, this is what happens. This is, this is the age, the age that we live in. So with this digital code, uh, I have not input my digital code actually. And I'm not sure how much of what's in the book is, is in the digital code, but I would assume it's everything. So the presentation itself, I really like, and for a graphic novel of this size with a hardcover and with a glossy paper, because it is slightly oversized compared to a regular comic book, it is uh, about an inch, uh, an inch uh, wider and an inch taller, uh, maybe maybe a three quarters of an inch wider, but it's a, it's a slightly oversized book. Uh, but all, all things considered, if you're just looking at the value of the physical materials used to create the book, it's not overpriced, and if you're getting it at a discount on Amazon or uh, you know buying it at your local comic shop and paying a little extra to support your local comic shop, then you know double bonus. You just supported your local comic shop and got a nice volume. Now the question, of course, is do I want to buy this nice volume, especially if I've already purchased books that have this, maybe the originals or maybe you know reprints that Dark Horse did or whoever. Uh, so that's I, you have to answer that yourself, really. So I'm hopefully going to give you, I guess, some of that information about whether you, you would want to or not. But I am going to take a look, a uh, close look at some of the writing material inside each of these. But I'm not going to look at the actual story. Anything I note about the individual issues and, and the, the writing and the art, it, it's going to be in broad strokes because we'll get those later. In fact, for one of these, we've already done that with uh, with episode four with Star Wars the original six issues that are in that volume for Marvel cosmic comic. Those are that's episodes five, 10, 14, 19, 25, and 30. And for the comic book time machine, those are found in episode six, 10, 14, 20, 36, and 47. And I just threw a whole bunch of numbers at you. But if you do want to go back and listen to my review of those specific issues, you can go to comic book time machine.com. And there you can, on the one side, you'll see Marvel's Cosmic Comics. You can click on that, and it'll take you to the feed. You can uh, also click on the keyword 
cloud cluster or whatever they call it and you can, you'll see the word star wars you can click on that and it'll take you to these episodes you can also do a search for star wars i mean there's a number of different ways to find these specific issues that i'm talking about but i'm, I'm not going to be talking about the specific story or the way that it was adapted by the artist and by the writer instead i'm going to be talking about how they are presented in these volumes and how the artwork looks in these volumes each of these volumes contains a lot of extra material. The extra material that uh, you'll find in each of these is there's an introduction by an actor from Star Wars, and there's a whole bunch of presentations of the different covers and some of the different artwork that was produced to go along with the adaptations of each of these movies. And right now I'm going to move into kind of looking specifically at each one and the, the material, the extra material that it comes with. Now, volume... I don't know, should I call it volume one? They go by episode number. So we are starting with episode four and I'm glad that they started there. I mean, they could have done some of the Dark Horse. Uh, I think it was Dark Horse that, that was uh, the publisher when they did episode one, two and three. Uh, side note, my name was put into a hat of names that were put into a hat of possible names that might get put into a hat that would go before Mike Richardson at Dark Horse around the time of episode two. Now, does that mean that I was ever a contender for that? Absolutely not. But I knew an artist who was kind of almost a contender for it. I don't know how far he got, but if he would have gotten any further into it, uh, my name might have gotten brought up. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So, you know, you want to talk about your six degrees of separation. I was maybe like 163 degrees of separation from from that gig. Um, basically, my artist friend said, hey, would you be interested in that if it happened? And I said, yeah. And then it never even came close to materializing as far as I could tell. Why am I telling that story? I don't know because it's like the opposite of a name drop story. This is basically a story where it's like, yeah. I didn't come close, but I came closer than I could have come. I really should cut this out, but that means editing. And people who listen to my Strangers and Aliens podcast know how I feel about editing. So episode four, or if you want to call it Star Wars, has an introduction by Peter Mayhew. And this is a cool introduction. It basically gets into how he liked comic books and suddenly... Uh, you know, when he was a kid, he liked comic books. And then all of a sudden in the seventies, he found himself in a comic book and it was, he, he has a really interesting turn of phrase here where he talks about, uh, star Wars is unique in that it began as a film and was later released as books and comics rather than the other way around. This made for people having strong opinions on what each character meant to them before they read their stories. In the comics, Chewbacca often comes off as a barrel-chested bruiser rather than the gentle giant he was in the films. Seeing another artist's interpretation of the characters, whether it be in comics or book form, is always fun for me. And of all three, this is probably the one that, the one introduction, I should say, that talks the most about comics. And it's really cool. I'm not going to read the whole introduction for people. Uh, because I'd like you to, to check it out, you know, and, and there's not a lot of time and I just don't want to steal away from Peter Mayhew's thunder, but I really liked his introduction that he wrote here. It was heartfelt. It was kind of 
fun. You could tell that he really was thinking about, you know, what did it mean to be in a comic? It sounds like he was really thinking about what did it mean to be in a comic in 1977. He, he mentions that he has read these comics over and over again. He has the originals in what he calls his Chewbacca museum. <laughs> they're, they're uh, ratty and, and tattered, but he, he enjoys looking at those comics. And I'm curious because for him as an actor, you don't see his face. And so for him, he's seeing an artist representation of a mask that he wears when he is portraying Chewbacca. And he does, I mean, he, he has a physicality to him as he plays Chewbacca, but that physicality that he has is also, you know, he's, he's mime in a way. And he's not, you know, he's not doing the line readings as far as what we end up getting from from the the sound design and all that. But I wonder how different it would be to be an actor who is seeing themselves portrayed in a comic and is meant to be a actual portrayal of the actor's likeness rather than an actual portrayal of, you know, a mask that he's wearing. And I know as we get into Carmen Infantino's presentation of Chewbacca, but even early on with, with Howard Chaikin, Chewbacca, he's, well, to use my phrase, Chewbacca's hard to draw. At least they seem to present him in such a way that makes it look like they're having a hard time drawing him because he does get very stylized and look a lot like a Bigfoot or a giant, you know, fuzzy, fuzzy dog. The other extras that are in that volume, it has all six issues. Uh, there's a lot of extra stuff, but almost all of it is cover related there is an early cover of issue number one they have the san diego poster that howard chaikin did which i love that poster i really like to find a reprint of that poster sometime i'm sure they've done some reprints i just haven't looked but i know i'm not going to get one of the originals because well i'm not going to spend you know my paycheck on a poster that i'm really don't have a place to put right now but if I ever did find a poster of that original San Diego artwork that they did for the San Diego Comic-Con back in, I think, 76 or whatever, it was before the movie came out. Uh, it's, it's a great poster, and it's a Howard Chaikin uh, piece of art, I, and I really, really like that. They have also the original cover art for number two, three, and six, and then all the cover art for all the different special editions, the oversized special editions, the reprint. All, all sorts of things. And then the back cover artwork that was produced. And then the inside cover artwork that was produced. And some of the pinups that they produced. And also some of the Dark Horses reprints. And and then there's uh, some some presentation of Addie Granoff's post, uh, painted covers. Which appear on these hardcover volumes. Uh, it's it's a nice presentation. And, and there's some really cool cool things to look at they have there's no real like art notes that go along with that other than to say this is what this came from it doesn't give a lot of background on any of that the the one thing i guess and i I guess i'll do this right now here with with this volume since we're talking about it but it looks weird the remastered color just looks weird it almost makes me wonder why didn't they just go ahead and redo all the artwork darth vader still looks hard to draw it still looks like they have, you know, these characters that are drawn from photo reference, but before there was a real three-dimensional aspect to the characters that you would get from watching the movies over and over again or having models, 
you know, that you can put in front of you, of, of especially the spaceships and, and some of the, the robot designs. So what you end up with is the original inks and all the artwork from Howard Chaikin and, and his various embellishers and inkers. But then you have this uh, realistic texture given to the objects that are technological in nature. It's weird to see uh, these a realistic star field behind these you know ship designs that are they, they don't have a lot of, of texture or or detail to them. But then you also have uh, there's a lot of things that have a lot more detail in the new coloring than they ever did in in the original. So there's an, I'm looking at an image of the Millennium Falcon right now. And it was drawn to be basically smooth with just some lines giving texture. And they didn't add lines. They don't add line work to the the things that, that Howard Chaikin and his embellishers and inkers did. Instead, they add this texture to the gray. And they add, you know, they do the same thing with the Millennium, uh, with, this is the Millennium Falcon I'm looking at. They do the same thing with um, the the Death Star and some of the other things. And then, like I said, they have that, that realistic uh, star field that they're, that's behind them and and realistic, uh, well, I get realistic. Uh, the the blasters and, and the lightsabers and stuff have kind of a glow to them, that, uh, a glow effect that you couldn't get when you were doing an, an ink color instead of a, a digital coloring. And it's just a little bit odd. Uh, and I, I don't think it's because I spent so much time with these comics. I, I haven't. I spent time with these comics for this podcast, but that was the first time I really read through the original comics for the original movie. And it, it, it just, it's a little bit jarring in this. So yeah, is is this one a volume I, I recommend? I do. I would recommend this volume if you don't have a Marvel Star Wars adaptation in your collection. This would be, you know, probably the one to get, especially if you don't mind that you're not getting the original color work. Now, the color work for all three of these is done by uh, it's a company or a studio called Soto Color. And I don't know who these people are. I don't know uh, how many people there are that worked on this. Uh, I don't know the story behind them. I, I just know that they they do a really a really good job with what they've been given. Uh, they, they even on the explosion of the Death Star do that kind of ring effect that was given in the, the special edition. But again, that makes it jarring because you have the original artwork of the X-Wing fighter flying away from it. But then it's this very digital looking color style to the explosion. I say digital looking. Uh, I, I don't mean it's pixelated. I, I don't mean that it doesn't look good. It looks like, you know, it was printed off from, uh, you know, a website or something like that. What I mean is it looks like it was created to be realistic within Photoshop or, or Illustrator or something like that, especially when you have, like I said, you have these these less detailed technological objects placed on what's meant to be kind of a photorealistic style of special effect. Now, moving from the original 
movie and its adaptation, we go to The Empire Strikes Back, episode episode five. And I haven't talked about these yet in the Marvel Cosmic Comics feed because I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not even close. The, the issues that this was done in are issues 39 through 44. And so it was actually done as a part of the the series as the series was coming out but it's again six issues like like the original and this time around though it's the adaptation is written by archie goodwin and the artist is al williamson and then uh, carlos garzon is kind of his anchor and i don't want to say too much about the artwork here other than to say it's a very different style it's a much more consistent style because they actually had these guys working you know, together the whole time and how Williamson was actually engaged in doing the artwork the whole time, unlike Howard Chaikin. But, uh, the extras involve pinups that are, that appeared in the, the issues. Um, and some of these pinups, there's a Frank Miller pinup, which there's a Frank Miller drawing of Luke Skywalker battling Darth Vader. That's pretty awesome. Uh, in the four or the, in issue 44, the final issue of the, the adaptation, you have Walt Simonson drawing Boba Fett. And then on the next page is Joe Jusco doing Luke Skywalker on his Tauntaun. And then you have Fred Hembeck doing a cast photo. It's awesome. Uh, these are so cool, these pinups. Uh, I almost would want to do them as, as pinups on my wall. Michael Golden did one. Uh, it's just really, really neat. The other thing that's another extra that's in here is an uh, article called Building an Empire Marvel Style, which is a behind-the-scenes look at The Empire Strikes Back uh, comic book by Archie Goodwin. Uh, there are British Star Wars Weekly covers, which uh, they needed to do extra covers because of the way they presented them. They had the, you know, the Star Wars adaptation going week by week instead of month by month. And so those were drawn by Carmine Infantino. And then you also have the Marvel Super Special cover that's from the oversized printing of, of the Empire Strikes Back movie. It was painted by Bob Larkin. And it's just, again, all of those extra covers, but then you also have some of the Al Williamson artwork. And it's it's really neat. And And the thing is, the recoloring really fits a lot better with, with what they were doing. Uh, it fits the art style. It feels like the art style here. While, you know, it's definitely of the 80s. Uh, it feels like it was drawn with this style of color in mind. The added texture, the added, uh, you know, star fields and glows and and all that kind of thing fit very nicely. And I think part of that is due to the, the artwork of the technology actually looking like, you know, it has the texture that you would have in a realistic drawing. And so it's, it's just a lot easier to take the realistic style that was used here and, and apply a, a realistic style uh, of color and, and, and the special effects don't look, like it's it's from a whole different era. It doesn't look like it's from, uh, and and what it does is it actually pulls, uh, what the, it does what they were trying to do with the Chaikin artwork. They were trying to pull that original series into the modern style, 
and it, it, it doesn't work very well. Here, you take this stuff and you pull it forward in time to now, and, and it really works nicely. Now, Al Williamson, uh, I'm not real familiar with him. I don't have a lot of work by him other than I've seen his work on Flash Gordon and some other things that he did for for weird fantasy and, and that. And then I had his Return of the Jedi adaptation uh, in an oversized volume from when I was a kid that I read over and over and over again. And I loved the artwork in that. Uh, if the artwork from Carmine Infantino was very, very jarring for me as a young reader, the artwork from from Al Williamson basically presented the movie to me as I remembered seeing it. It was it was great. And I I just want to read a little bit from Archie Goodwin's uh, article that he wrote about doing the Marvel comic. And he says, uh, on separate occasions, both Marvel's editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter, and Lucasfilm's Carol Tittleman had suggested that Al Williamson would be a great choice for the artist for Empire. Al, born in Bogota, Colombia, had come to the United States as a young boy and broke into the comics fields as a, as a teenager. His science fiction and fantasy stories published in the 50s in the old EC comics Weird Science and Weird Fantasy made him tremendously popular with fans and highly regarded by professionals as well. In the late 60s, Al did a series of Flash Gordon comics for King Features that secured his reputation as the best artist for this type of science fantasy since, Al, since Flash's original creator, Alex Raymond, who is one of Al's favorite artists and greatest influences. The same series also won him an award from the National Cartoonist Society. For the last 13 years, he has been doing the syndicated newspaper strip Secret Agent Corrigan. Since I write the strip with Al, and our friendship goes back a number of years before that, I had already tried from time to time to entice him into a Star Wars project. Al, a movie buff, and just as much of a Star Wars fanatic as any of the rest of us, was always interested, but for various reasons, usually conflicting work schedules, it would never quite work out. This time we were close. He and I were on the verge of giving up the comic strip, and he was looking for a new project. Still, the volume of work required, and the deadline within, which it would have to be produced, made him nervous. Al is a meticulous craftsman and a perfectionist. He didn't want to do it unless he was certain he could deliver and deliver his best. Enter Carlos Garzon. Carlos is also from Bogota. When he came to the States in 1971, seeking work as a cartoonist, he looked up Al, and the two worked together from time to time. On his own, Carlos is an accomplished artist with great range and variety. He has worked on horror and suspense stories for Warren and Skywald's Black and White magazines, done advertising work, and such animated comics as Bugs Bunny, Sylvester the Cat, and Daffy Duck. Most recently, he has been the artist for Gold Key's new series of Flash Gordon comics. Rather than giving up on Empire... Al approached Carlos about working together again. Carlos, also a big fan of the movie, agreed. We were all set. And, you know, the whole thing then gets into how he adapted and stuff like that. And that's very interesting to me as someone who has taken works from other medium, basically uh, novels and and stories and that kind of thing, uh, and then turned it into a comic book story. And, and so that's, that's interesting to me. But what I found interesting here was that they both worked on Flash Gordon. And the other thing was I loved Al Williamson's Flash Gordon. You know, the reprint stuff that I had seen when I was younger and now as, you know, as I'm older. But then I didn't realize Carlos Garzon you know, worked on the Gold Keys Flash Gordon comics. Those comics are awesome. Now, they're not as awesome as Al Williamson's. But to have I, I didn't realize that we basically had these two Flash Gordon artists that I really liked. Uh, collaborating here on, on this Star Wars stuff. 
So there's more stories like that in this, uh, I think it was how many pages is it? One, two, three, four, I mean, basically four pages of, of material. There's also some photos and stuff. And then the, the uh, opening is, the introduction is Billy D. Williams. Now, unlike Peter Mayhew, his, his introduction is really more about what it meant to play Lando. And he does mention that Lando's getting his own Marvel comic soon, uh, which is not, when this was printed, it hadn't come out yet. It's now out. But uh, he, he says, I've just learned that Marvel will be releasing a series of comic books only about Lando. I always felt he was worthy of his own adventures, so it's quite satisfying to see him get his just due. Uh, the introduction here isn't uninteresting. It's actually very, very interesting to see his thoughts. And I've never seen him speak. Uh, I've never heard him do any kind of commentary about any of the movies or anything like that. I haven't been to any Star Wars conventions where he would be you know, a guest speaker or do anything uh, with with that. And so when I'm when I'm reading this here, uh, this is really cool to see just his take on on Lando and and how Lando is a part of him and he's a part of Lando and but it doesn't really talk much about comics. It, it just I would have liked to him to have at least mentioned the comics. I mean he's writing an introduction to a graphic novel, but that's just not the way he chose to approach it. So in conclusion about this volume. Uh, do I recommend it? I do highly recommend The Empire Strikes Back. It looks fantastic. It looks really, really good. And the extra stuff doesn't take away from the original artwork. At least I don't feel like it does for me. And it doesn't make the original artwork look bad or look odd or look like it doesn't fit with what they're trying to do. It fits nicely. And if you don't have a, a, an Empire Strikes Back graphic novel adaptation, I, I, I have no problem saying, get this one. Get this one. It looks great. It reads great. And it's Al Williamson. It's his artwork. And it feels like it's his artwork. Uh, and, and Carlos Garza. With Howard Chaykin stuff, it just feels jarring. So Return of the Jedi uh, is done by the, the same team. It's it's Archie Goodwin, and it's Al Williamson, and it's Carlos Garzon. There's some other people who help with some of the artwork, but it, when it comes right down to it, this is a, a very, very nice continuation of what we had before. And the new artwork, uh, the new color work, rather, on the artwork looks great. And it... it looks like it matches up again it just it doesn't feel jarring it doesn't feel weird uh, and I don't want to get into the adaptation itself although this is the one that I'm the most familiar with uh, there were some things in here in the issues that I did not even know existed and mainly the the pinups of the different things now the pinups are not the dream team of weird eclectic artists like Frank Miller and Fred Hembeck uh, I don't even know who drew some of these and I haven't taken the time yet to look into it because that's something I'll do when I cover this, if I ever do. But, you know, that's a, that's a long way away. So we'll, we'll see if podcasting is still a thing by the time I get to this. But this collects issues one through four of the Return of the Jedi adaptation. And again, it has pinups that were in the issues. I didn't even know these pinups existed because my edition didn't have them in it. It has the cover to the edition that I had. It has, uh, like The Empire Strikes Back, it has some pages of artwork uh, that are by Will Al Williamson and, and Carlos Garzon. Um, it, it has all the extra covers and stuff, and it's it's nice. It's really, really good. The But it's really, really good in the, in the same way that 
that the Empire Strikes Back is. So basically, I'm, I'm not going to repeat myself on, on that, other than uh, Warwick Davis did the introduction. And it's really, really neat. Uh, this one, he's he's doing a lot of, you know, memories on the set and and memories on you know there's an accident with the net when when uh the the gang was captured by the ewoks because uh chewbacca triggered a trap and there's he has some memories of the crane dropping them and but he also has some comic book memories and and then it's kind of just him looking at you know i was made into a a lego figure again you know he mentions comics slightly but not it's not like the the main thrust here of his his introduction. Again, he's he's also like Billy Dee Williams, kind of looking at his experience being the character and his experience of the character, you know, being him. It, it's a a good read. It's a fun read. I don't recommend this because of that read, uh, but I I recommend if you if you get this read read the introductions. Read the introductions for all three. They're really really neat. Um, yeah, so that's that's I guess that's that. I, I recommend Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi without any qualms. Uh, they exist and stand alone nicely on their own. Uh, the first one then becomes a completionist kind of thing. If you are going to buy the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi because they are so awesome and work so well, then you're probably going to want to buy the other one too and have all three. And And frankly, if you don't have these stories in comic book form these definitely these are the way to go uh, they're the easiest and they're probably the nicest presentation that you're going to get unless you were to try and get the originals you know in mint condition and i'm not sure what they're going for but you know getting the originals there's there's nothing wrong with that getting some of those original reprintings especially if you could get some of those really oversized uh, super special editions those you know you get to look at the artwork and it's just big and it's 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 cinematic, uh, but these these are a nice presentation. So that's really all I have to say about that. I just want to thank you for listening and just say, hey, you know, you can you can contact us by going to the comicbooktimemachine.com or liking us on Facebook. You can find more of uh, me talking about comics at welcometolevel7.com. And you can also find me talking about Star Wars and tons of other things and how they kind of tie into spirituality and faith over at strangersandaliens.com. So with all that said, I guess I really don't have much more to say other than once again, thank you for listening. And no matter where you are, no matter where you're going, no matter where you've been, I just want to say to you, Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, what Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode on the Marvel Cosmic Comics feed, and coming soon on the Comic Book Time Machine feed, Star Wars, Volume 1, Skywalker Strikes.